On. There we go. Oh, we've come to the main message portion of our service now. So, as always, let's ask God's help. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful gift we have of your word. And we know it's our responsibility to study it, to read it with an open heart and an open mind. And we know that it's the duty of the Holy Spirit to perform a miracle and help us to understand words that so few can comprehend. So Lord, uh, do that today. Open our minds and our hearts and change us today. Help us to see things your way, not our way. Help us to know your purpose for us and to obey you. So thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 22. So if you have your Bible, we're going to read through most of the chapter here as we begin. I think you'll uh, recognize this story. You've probably heard it many times. But we pray that God will give us a little bit deeper understanding of it. Genesis chapter 22 is the story of the patriarch Abraham and a time when he was tested by God with regard to his son Isaac. It says in Genesis 22, verse 1, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning... Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 
The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. A powerful, dramatic story, a true story. You know, one of the major problems in the church in America today is that we have watered down the gospel message by minimizing the desperate need of lost sinners and thereby minimizing the greatness of God's salvation. We've told people that Jesus can help them with their problems and give them an abundant life, <laughs> the, as the uh, health and wealth gospel preaches, the false gospel. You know, people are doing reasonably well in life, but they could use a little help now and then. So they try Jesus to see if he will boost their happiness quotient. Like well-fed people at a feast, they sample a little bit of the Jesus appetizer to see if they like it, but they don't feel a great need for a savior. In their mind, by being forgiven of a little, they love Jesus a little. But you see, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that apart from Jesus Christ, people are under the wrath of a holy God. That's the gospel. Unless they flee to Jesus, they will perish in their sins. They are hopelessly lost. Unless Christ saves them from their sins, they will suffer what the Bible calls eternal condemnation. So somewhere in the process of God's dealing with us, he must bring us to the point of recognizing how great our need is for his salvation. And only when we see how desperate our situation is, will we see how great God's gift of a Savior is. So in our case, by seeing how much we have been forgiven, we will love Jesus much. Now that's what God did with Abraham and his son Isaac. And this is the lesson that we can learn from this story. God planned in this episode here to bring Abraham and Isaac to the point of death. And that's the lesson that they had to learn. And that's the lesson that we have to learn. You know, the Bible teaches us that all of us human beings on this earth throughout history and, and today, we are in a very desperate situation. We have broken God's law. God is the creator. He has established all things. And with the breaking of his law, there is a penalty to be paid. You know, we're told in Romans 
chapter 3 and verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we can't kid ourselves. We know that we are all sinners and we have needed God's help. And furthermore, it says in Romans 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. So that's the reality that we're living in. That we have all sinned, we have all brought a death penalty upon ourselves, and if nothing were to happen to solve that situation, that's what we would face, death, because of our sins, and God would be very just in giving us that penalty for our sins. We've broken the law, God is a very just God, and He will see to it that the uh, results of the law are meted out. Just like people today who break the law, who murder somebody, who steal something. They come before a judge and they have to stand there and answer for the wrong that they have done. The same thing will happen with all of us. We know that there is coming a judgment day. People don't like to think about it. That's why when the subject of God comes up, they'd rather hear something else. They don't want your opinion. They don't want to hear uh, about God. They don't want to read the Bible because they're going to find out things that they're doing wrong. And they don't want to face up to that. But the reality is that we are all going to face a judgment. And if nothing were to happen on our behalf to change our circumstances, we are all under the penalty of death for our sins. So... To teach the lesson of the seriousness of this situation, God brought Abraham and Isaac to the very brink of life and death. He certainly got their attention, didn't he? To show them how desperate their situation was and how desperate ours is. And how much they and us need a substitute which God would provide. So it's hard for me to imagine you know, I have a son, I have an, a one and only son, along with three daughters. But my mind can't grasp what it must have been like for Abraham and Isaac to follow God's instruction, what they did, in a very obedient manner. They went before God, and they did what God told them to do. Now, it was never God's intention for Abraham to actually kill Isaac, but the story was portrayed to teach a lesson, not only to Isaac and, and Abraham, but to us. And I can't imagine what it was like as a father to take a knife and to have your son there and you're about to kill him. My mind rebels at the thought of that. And I can't imagine what it was like for Isaac to be lying there on the altar to see his father raising a knife over him, about to plunge the knife into him to kill him as a sacrifice. But you see, what God was doing in their minds and what he's doing in our minds is to show us the seriousness of sin. And whether you believe it or not, there is a death penalty for sin. Now you think, well, how can God do that? Well, he did it. He is a judge. He is a holy God, and he is also the judge of his creation. And if nothing were to happen to intervene in that process, Isaac would have been killed and God would have been very just in allowing that and Abraham would have died as well. 
because they were both sinners, as we are all sinners. But thanks be to God that God provided an alternate route in their case because he stopped him at the last minute after they felt the severity and the seriousness of this whole situation. God intervened and provided an alternate. He provided a substitute. And the substitute was the ram who had its horns caught in the thicket. And Abraham took that ram and the ram went in place of his son Isaac. Now Isaac was guilty, he was a sinner, so he deserved death, but nevertheless God provided a substitute. And the substitute was the ram, and Abraham and Isaac, after worshiping God, walked away alive. So if you will, in your mind, put yourself in the place of Abraham and Isaac. And to realize the relief that they felt and the worship that they offered God for God having provided a substitute to die in their place. So two things I want to talk about now. First of all, our desperate situation and also the substitute that God provided. If God had merely asked Abraham to sacrifice one of his animals, which he easily could have done, instead of sacrificing his son Isaac, God could have said, you know, just grab one of your sheep, grab one of the goats in your flock there, and I want you to, to sacrifice that. That would have not have been a problem at all for Abraham. He wouldn't have felt the stress and the anxiety he felt when God asked him to sacrifice his only son, whom he loved. Isaac would have died if God had not provided the substitute, you see. Sinful man and sinful women can only approach God through the shedding of blood. Ever since the first sin took place in the Garden of Eden, that sacrifice became necessary if anybody was going to approach God. Because we had broken the law and we had deserved death, and now sacrifice has to take place. If you turn back with me to Genesis chapter 4. So from the earliest times, everybody knew that if you're going to approach God, if you're going to try to come before him, you can't come before him without shed blood. Because you're a sinner, you say. You have sinned, and God is holy, so don't try to come before him without shed blood. You remember the story of Cain and Abel, uh, Adam and Eve's two sons. It said here in uh, Genesis 4, beginning in verse 3, in the course of time, Cain, one of the sons, brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel, the other son, brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? Because before you can come before God, blood has to be shed as a sacrifice. So Abel took an animal from his flock and killed it and came before the Lord uh, with that offering. He was accepted. Cain, uh, Abel sacrificed the animal. Cain just brought some 
cucumbers, onions, or whatever he could find in his garden and brought it before God as a sacrifice. And God said, no, I don't accept that. Why? Because in order to come before God, blood must be shed. Why? Well, it was looking forward to something that would happen in the future, something that that ram also symbolized. And of course, that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He was the substitute. So that was just common knowledge. Don't try to come before God without shed blood. And remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. They were going up the hill to the sacrifice, and Isaac said, wait a minute, where's the lamb? Because Isaac knew that before you can come before God and to worship him, there has to be shedding of blood. So everybody knew that. It was common knowledge. Now later... God would teach Israel that sacrifices were necessary to approach him. So you read the book of Leviticus, you got the whole story of all the different kinds of offerings that you can offer and sacrifices that you can uh, lift up to God. And you had the whole priesthood, their job was just day after day killing these animals. And over the course of centuries of Israel, uh, whether it be in the wilderness with the tabernacle or whether it be in Jerusalem with the temple, could you imagine the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of animals that were killed over the centuries to atone for the people's sins? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. You know, God cannot sweep our sins under the, the carpet. There has to be death. There has to be shedding of blood. Why? Because God is a holy God. He is a God of holiness and a God of justice. He has ordained that the penalty of sin is death, and he must exact that penalty. And you know what? That law still holds today. And all people are under that law and under that death penalty unless God provides for them a substitute. So by accepting the death of, of animals for Israel, God showed that he would accept the death of a proper substitute as payment for the person's sins. So you know what? If I sinned, I realize what I did, I got to take an animal to uh, the altar in Jerusalem and have the priest kill it so that I can be forgiven. You know, a funny thing about uh, Israel and the Levitical system is animals were being sacrificed every day all through the day, day and night, because every time you sinned, you had to offer another animal. <laughs> but God was going to provide a substitute that would be a once-for-all death. No longer would people have to offer sacrifices daily to atone for their sins. God was going to provide a substitute that was going to die one time, and that one death is going to cover the sins of everyone the whole human race, forever. And of course, we know that that would turn out to be his son, Jesus. So God would accept a substitute for our sins. I didn't have to die because I sinned. One of my animals could die in my place. And it had to be a special animal. It had to be a male without spot or blemish. And of course, that was looking forward to Jesus Christ, who was a male who was out without spot or blemish because he never sinned. So he was a worthy substitute for us to die in our place. 
And like I said, all those animals that were killed in sacrifices pointed ahead to the sinless Son of God who would offer himself as the Lamb of God for the sins of the whole world. Now, another lesson to learn from this story is not only would God accept a substitute to die in your place for your sins, but God was showing by the death of requiring the death of Isaac, God showed that the ultimate sacrifice for sin would require the death of an acceptable human substitute. That's why God went through this whole story with Abraham attempting to kill Isaac. He was showing that, listen, the one who is going to fulfill this, the one who is going to be the substitute, is going to be a human, not an animal. Animals aren't sufficient to pay the price for the sins of the whole human race. It's going to be a person, but a very special person. A male, yeah, Much loved by the Father, yes. Spotless, yes. Without sin. The story shows that only man can atone for the sins of man. No animals ever could. If it was animals, he'd have to do it every day. But this one substitute is going to die, and the value of his death is going to be so powerful that it's going to pay for the sins of everyone for all time. Once for all, as the book of Hebrews says. The man who must die as the substitute must be a son, an only son, a beloved son. And that was going to turn out to be Jesus Christ. That's what God was showing through this story. And I always wondered, wow, what a strange story to be in the Bible. Why would God command Abraham to to literally kill his son. Well, there's a lot of meaning here. It's a death that we all deserve. And to get the point, he brought them right to the climax point where Abraham raised the knife and he understood how desperate this situation was and how real it was. And then God stopped them and said, okay, now I think you get the point. And the ram, you see, The ram symbolizes the aspect of substitution. The ram and Isaac both symbolize Jesus. Isaac represents the humanity aspect of the sacrifice, that it's not going to be an animal, it's going to be a person. And furthermore, it's going to be a son, a much-loved son, just like Isaac was to Abraham. And the ram symbolized the aspect of substitution. So here's what God was going to provide. Instead of you dying for your sins, God was going to provide a substitute to die in your place. And it was going to be a male. It was going to be a son. Abraham, on the other half, he represents God the Father. He pictures the Father who loved the Son, but who was willing to sacrifice him on our behalf. So you get the symbolism here. Jesus is represented by Isaac, who was a man, a male, showing that the ultimate price for our sins would be a human being, a male, a son, a much-loved son who would die in our place. And the ram symbolizes the fact that a substitution was allowable by God. And Abraham represents God the Father, who was willing to sacrifice his own son for sin. But in the case of 
God the Father and Jesus, the sacrifice happened. So we have to understand the predicament that we're in, the desperate situation that we're in. Because of our sins, we deserve to die. And God is a just God, and the penalty will be carried out. Now, God has offered a substitute for us. And it's up to you to decide whether you want Jesus to be your substitute. Now, a lot of people don't like to think about that today because they think they're not that bad of a person. You know, they compare themselves to others in society and, you know, compared to him, I'm, I'm not that bad. Look at, the, look at what this guy's doing. I'm better than him. No, we're all sinners. All have come short of the glory of God and sinned and all deserve a death penalty. That's the reality of it. Pastor John, are you talking about fear of religion here? Well, you know, the Bible does say fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> so that's your starting point. You've got to realize where you are, the predicament you're in in your life. Amen. And as we, you know, preach the gospel and as we talk to other people, sometimes we need to be a little stronger in the way we come across to them. We don't talk to them about Jesus as somebody who can, you know, give you a prosperous life and somebody who can heal all your diseases and make life good for you. No, we have to talk about how they're under a death penalty because of their sins. And you need to flee to Jesus and cling to him with all of your might so that you will be saved from what ultimately is going to happen to you. So we realize our desperate situation, and that's why God had Abraham and Isaac act this out, because it was real. And it was stressful, and there's anxiety involved, because it's about death. Now, secondly, let's look at the, the fact that God has provided a Savior. Only God can provide one to save us. It says in Romans 5, verse 6, I'm going to turn back there real quickly. Romans 5 and verse 6 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And in Abraham and Isaac's case, boy, it happened just at the right time, didn't it? Abraham is holding the knife over his son, about to kill him, following God's instruction. And God says, wait. The angel says, wait, stop. God has provided a substitute. And it's ironic that this ram that just happened to be there was stuck with his head and his horns in the thistle bush. And I always thought that it's, it's very ironic, and I'm sure inspired, that when Jesus was about to be crucified, what did they place on his head? Thorns, branches from a thicket. And anybody who was familiar with the scripture, I always wondered why they didn't put two and two together. Here's Jesus with this crown of thorns. Does he represent the ram with his head caught in a thicket bush? Is that what God was showing? That this is the fulfillment. Here is the substitute for the sins of the human race. With his head surrounded by thorns of a thicket branch. And another interesting note too is God told Abraham to carry out this sacrifice in the land of Moriah. Mount Moriah, do you know where that is? Well, if you look at a picture of Jerusalem, 
modern day picture and you see that one edifice with the gold tower. It's called the Dome of the Rock. It's actually a Muslim uh, building. It really stands out because it has a bright dome roof on it. That is Mount Moriah. And inside that building is an actual rock, a big slab of rock in that building. It's an interesting thing because, of course, it's a very special holy Muslim place. But they feel, of course, they believe in the Old Testament, Muslims do, and they built that there because they believe that that is the actual rock where Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac. I don't know if it's true or not, but that little area there at the Temple Mount is Mount Moriah. So God had Abraham attempt to carry out the sacrifice of his son in the exact location where Jesus was crucified. So the lesson is that we too, just as Abraham obeyed, we have to come to the place God has appointed. So to Abraham, the place was Mount Moriah, where the sacrifice was, was to be carried out. We too have to come to the place that God has appointed, the cross, to find our help, to find our substitute for our sins. And that's what we have all done, and that's what Anyone who wants to come to God, anyone who wants salvation, that's what they must do. They must come to Jesus Christ and they must come to the cross because that's the only place where salvation may be found. There's one name by which we may be saved, Jesus, no other. So Isaac represents Jesus, you see. As Isaac carried the wood to his sacrifice, Jesus carried his cross to his crucifixion. Isaac willingly submitted to his father, Abraham. Jesus willingly submitted to his father as he went to the cross. Remember, Jesus prayed before his crucifixion, Father, if this cup can be removed from me, you know, this, the sum of what I'm about to suffer, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And you wonder why Isaac obeyed so quickly. You know, his father said, okay, get up on this slab. I'm going to tie you up. If that was me, I would have been saying, wait a minute. Dad, what, what are you doing here? You've got this knife and you've got this wood. You're going to start a fire. And why are you tying me up? Jesus, when he went to the crucifixion, he didn't question his father. He just obeyed. We too must come to the place God has appointed and we must willingly submit to God the Father just as Jesus did. Just as Abraham would have been responsible for the death of his son because he was the one plunging the knife into him, so God the Father took responsibility for the death of Jesus. You know, in Isaiah 53 verse 4, the prophecy of Jesus' death says he was smitten of God. So even though God wasn't the one who literally carried out the crucifixion, God allowed it. And in that sense, he takes responsibility for it, just as Abraham would have for his son Isaac. In John 8, verse 56, we read this scripture in our Bible study uh, several weeks ago. But it's interesting what Jesus says about Abraham here. John 8, verse 56 
Of course, Jesus was being questioned by the Pharisees, and of course, they didn't believe him. They didn't believe that he was the Son of God. But Jesus says this, John 8 and verse 56. He says this to the Jews, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Uh, wait a minute, Abraham lived centuries and centuries before Jesus. How did Abraham see Jesus' day? <laughs> well, in a sense, he acted it out in the sacrifice of his son Isaac. He was demonstrating in that whole story back there in Genesis 22, the whole account of Jesus' life, his suffering, and his death. So obviously, Abraham and Isaac got the point, got the point. So was salvation available to those people way back in the Old Testament times? Yeah, because just as we look back to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in history, Abraham and Isaac looked forward in time to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And in a, in a very powerful way, they actually acted it out in advance. So they saw Jesus' day, and they were glad. They knew that a Savior was coming. We know that a Savior took place for us many years ago. So bottom line, we have to see our desperate situation. Now, a lot of us have gone through this, and, but you know what? It never ends. Our accepting Jesus as a Savior wasn't just a one-time thing that happened years and years ago in our life. We're reminded of that every day, how much we need a Savior. We flee to Jesus. We cling to Jesus because we know without Him, we're dead. We're doomed. We have to see our desperate situation. We're all sinners, that we're worthy of death, judgment, eternal condemnation, and if it hadn't been for Jesus, the beloved Son of God, who died in our place, we would be totally lost. So we have to seek Jesus with all of our might, not just on the day that we're baptized, but every day of our lives. That's why we're here today. We're here to praise and to worship this God who saved us from death, from eternal condemnation. You know, Jesus said back in Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So he wants us to repent. He wants us to be baptized. He wants us to worship him and praise him because he's certainly worthy of it. Amen. I don't know how you feel, but we're told to worship God with all of our heart. And church is not just a casual thing. Eh, if we feel like it, we'll be there. If not, we won't. Praying to him, studying his word on a regular basis, we need to take this seriously. And just as Abraham and Isaac had to learn the lesson by coming to the point of death, we have to learn from their experience and to realize that, hey, this is all real. It's very real. We worship a holy God who is judge of all, and we will all be judged. Thankfully, God offers salvation by grace. Not anything we can do to earn it, but once we receive that wonderful gift of grace and salvation through Jesus Christ, 
He is worthy of our praise, not just for the rest of our lives, but for all eternity. And that's what we intend to do. We're going to have the communion service now, and I'll ask the workers to go back and to make the